to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. I'm Jamie Dodd. I'm joined by Canucks insider Thomas Trance, who also covers the team for The Athletic. Canucks Talk is brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment, keeping you at the top of your game. Now found together online at DLEAMC.com. We are live from Rogers Arena. Also, of course, always live from the Kintec studio. Kintec Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintec.net. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. And Jancer, as I said, we are live here at Rogers Arena. Uh, Going to be bringing you the year-end media availabilities from Canucks General Manager Patrick Albin and Head Coach Rick Tockett coming up at 1230. Uh, we'll be back on the air after that as well to react uh, take your reactions in the inbox as well to what we hear. Um, and we can talk a little bit about what we expect to hear, but I think a, a maybe not, I don't know if surprising is the right word, but I was struck by the depth of uh, a lot of what we heard from the players on Saturday when they spoke to the media. It was maybe a little, uh, a, a little more meaty than I was expecting to hear, and that's in a number of different directions. I know you wrote about the uh, at The Athletic about kind of the twin takeaways for you. One, mm. the optimism on the ice the exhaustion with the dysfunction that's happened off the ice. And I thought there was a lot to really dig into from uh, from what the players had to say on Saturday. Yeah, and there were some surprises, specifically the inclusion of, of Tanner Pearson, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that was It was a surprise to hear from him or, or mishear him in my case. And an apology to, to Tanner Pearson. I issued a correction on Twitter after mishearing one of his comments. Um, but, you know, hearing him speak, you know, fighting for his quality of life, still hopeful that he might be able to return, that he might be able to hit some benchmarks and and work toward his return. I think that added some gravity Mm -hmm. to to the commentary about the dysfunction, right? But, like, I couldn't get over JT Miller talking about the year he'd had and discussing that, you know, he got out of his lane, he was trying to fix everything, right? That was his words, trying to fix everything. And that he hopes he doesn't get back to that place again where he's doing stuff he's not too proud of on the ice. Again, his terms, not mine. But he also hopes the organization doesn't get back there. Like, that, I was honestly floored by some of the commentary about how significant a raging distraction, a a rolling series of controversies last year was. And and Pearson's, obviously, presence really emphasized that, but it it went beyond that. And, And it was so clear in so many comments, particularly from Vancouver's, like, most secure, biggest name guys. Yeah. Right? And and the contrast, I think, between that and and the hope, the hopeful commentary about being optimistic about where this team is going, taking real, putting real stock into what they saw down the stretch. Now, granted, we heard a lot of similar thoughts about Bruce Boudreaux a year ago. Um, you, you do have to take it with a grain of salt, but I, I do think it was clear that what they were talking about, like, there was a moment where Tyler Myers stopped and said, one thing... He, like he said it in in a very reflective tone where you know he'd like really thought about it. Uh, you know that high voice thing I talk about sometimes. Like great show, we <laughs> love playing for this coach, right? Where your voice lifts at the end and you know. But Tyler Myers is like, you know, one thing that's been really enjoyable for me, and it, like it was clear that this is a businessman who's thought about it, right? What do I really like? The individual teaching that I've received, right? Hughes's commentary about the impact that. Talk it and foot have had, and and even saying it probably did have to happen yeah. about Bruce Boudreaux, and then obviously the fascinating Ethan Bear interview um, by a couple guys you know you really hate to hand it to, 
<laughs> in Dan Riccio and Sat. But that was a phenomenal interview. Yes. Um, obviously, I don't actually hate to hand it to Sat. <laughs> but the but the that was a phenomenal interview, a, a wildly insightful interview, particularly coming from a player who came from such a restrictive system in Carolina yep. and and came to such an open-ended system. What I still sort of can't get over, right, is, you know, I always sort of bought the structural criticism that we basically heard like a year ago today from the for the first time in public from the organization. I think I was talking about it a fair bit in the lead-up to that availability. It was something that I focused on, the lack of attention to detail on, on matchups, uh, fourth lines sort of going out, in offensive zone shifts when they were chasing. Like, there was a lot of player deployment stuff about Boudreaux that drove me a little mad. But I also couldn't escape over the course of covering a team that he coached. Like, how sometimes knowing the big things also matters, right? Like, the the way that he got his players to compete, the fact that he gave freedom to them. Like, I don't think we can look at it... You can't look at Bruce Boudreaux, the second winningest regular season NHL head coach of all time, and say he doesn't know how to win in this league. He does. And, yeah. And that's what I can't escape. I think to me, and, you know, again, to kind of borrow uh, one of Sat's favorite phrases, right? Like, two things can be true. One is that Bruce Boudreaux is a really good NHL head coach, and two is that it was not working out whatsoever, right? Here, and like, that's what Quinn Hughes said, right? Sure. Quinn Hughes said, like, hey, I'm He's not, a good coach. Boudreaux's a good coach. Good man. But the change also needed to happen. And my big question would be, well, so, like, so I think Ethan Bear is really interesting because he wasn't here for the Boudreaux bump, right? He wasn't here for the good times. He arrives this season when things are already spiraling out yeah. of control. So he, like, that's his perspective is he got here and he was kind of shocked at the state of the team and the state of kind of the structural play and the systems and the lack of trust on the ice. What I'd be fascinated to know is how does that compare to what the players who were here experienced at the end of last season and what kind of transpired in between? Because not that it was like a structural masterclass, obviously, during the Boudreaux bump, as you said. Like, there are reasons that Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvine had those concerns. But I think it was also a far cry from what we saw in October, November, December this year. Well, and so, like, what happened to take it from, okay, they're winning because of the good vibes and mm. the knowing the big things and getting people to compete, and then to this year where the structural issues just became so massive that they outweighed any of the positives Boudreaux was bringing. Well, and also one thing that you have to give Boudreaux credit for, in my opinion anyway, was he took over a structured team that wasn't scoring anything at five on five and freed them to attack. Mm -hmm. Right. And this year, obviously their, their details and defensive play atrophied, but this team was still scoring like wildfire under Boudreaux. What have we heard so much under Tockett? We're still looking for those north-south guys, wall guys, inside guys. We're still looking for guys who can complement Patterson to play the way we want to play, right? There's been a lot of emphasis on what this team can't do as opposed to structuring things to take advantage of the of their the best players' talents, right? This is a team that's going to be very hard to modify over the course of this offseason, and I'm just wondering, like, structure's great, but if it gets in the way of emphasizing what you do well... Mm. It does. Can it be problematic, right? Like I think that's more than anything what Boudreaux taught me. I think, as I consider my view of hockey and how it changed interacting with Boudreaux, was that there's a continuum. Before Boudreaux, I had this idea that things should be done a certain way with like attention to detail and and on and on. And once I saw the success Boudreaux had, it really changed my view about how you can win by empowering people in a different way. And, and one thing that I don't think we should let anybody player-wise off the hook for, right, is empowered 
to handle their own business by a coach who trusted them, they played like that. And I don't think you can just hear the commentary and be like, well, now it's fixed, just like we did 12 months ago with Green and Boudreaux. <laughs> all, yep. th- all three of these guys, like, I think Tockett's a good coach. I think Boudreaux's a, a good coach. I think Travis Green's a good coach. What, what I still am a little bit worried about is, is this team good enough? And, and I think even, even though I buy the Tockett bump more than I bought the Boudreaux bump, mm. even though I thought these players were honest and reflective about the impact that Tockett had when he came in, I don't think we should just throw up our hands and be like, and it's fixed now. I think there's hard questions that still have to be asked about how this group responded to Boudreaux's method of coaching, particularly given the success he's had in multiple stops along the way with veteran teams who are clearly capable of handling their business in a more professional way than this team was. And to be fair to uh, Ethan Bear, you know, in the interview with Sat and Reach, which uh, everyone should go check out. It's on the Canucks Central podcast feed if you didn't have a chance to listen to it on Saturday. You know, to be fair to him, he does say, like, listen – it starts all over in training camp, right? Like, we have to go yeah, through this yeah. process again and build on it in training well, camp. What we did down the stretch doesn't really mean we're going to come out of the gates flying uh, if we don't repeat the process in training camp. I just had one other piece of context that's worth keeping in mind with Bear. Bear's skill set in terms of moving the puck, retrieving the puck, right? But maybe not so much in terms of the simple sides of the game, right? We're a better fit for Boudreaux right, than they were in Carolina where he was a regular healthy scratch. Like, part of what Bear benefited from was that his particular skill set, which is to transport the puck, for example, was better suited to a more free-flowing system mm. than, a, than a restrictive stress hockey system in which Jalen Chatfield outperformed him. Jalen Chatfield's not as good a player as, as Ethan Bear objectively, but within that, the context of that Carolina system, Chatfield was a better fit for them. Right, so so it's a really interesting dynamic for Bear, in particular, to discuss it because arguably, and and he he's succeeded under Tockett too. He's been a, a phenomenal player throughout his first season for the Vancouver Canucks, mostly. But I think it's a, his his particular experience might be the most fascinating in yeah. part because it also exposes the contradictions, the continuum that I'm talking about that you want to find sort of a balance. Well, to, and I mean. To get back to, you know, going back uh, to Travis Green in the end of his tenure here, like one of the things we heard was like, are the players being overcoached, right? Are, is he sapping the freedom? Is he stifling the creativity and the freedom from the players uh, by kind of relentlessly trying to instill this structure that doesn't really match the personnel they have? And I think it's important to note, you know, whenever you like when you have a absolute hard ass, like old school hockey coach and the team quits on them. The, the new fun guy, and I'm not saying Travis Green was that. I'm just saying, like, in general. Oh, the I, new I, don't fun, think, I don't think that's an unreasonable read. Whatever. Fair enough. But, like, he's not, like, the true, like, old school. Like, he's not Daryl Sutter. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the new fun guy who comes in is always going to seem like a breath of fresh air. It's like, totally. Oh, my gosh, man. We're having so much fun. Whoa. We're playing loose out there. Like, practices are fun do you again. Remember, do you remember the updates from practice about how much smiling and happiness yes. there was in the early part of Bruce Boudreaux's tenure? And the reverse is true as well, right? Where we're... we're when that stops working, right, and the new fun guys, like, and the players are like, ah, oh, man, he doesn't really have us prepared, and we're just, we don't have a lot of structure out there, we're too loose. When the disciplinarian comes in, it's going to be like, man, now we're getting back to basics, this is great, we're, like, relearning the fundamentals. You're always going to be, like, it's so easy to get caught swinging between those two ends of the spectrum, but it can't, like, at a certain point, 
as the players, they just have to buy into what the current coach is doing and figure out a way to get the most out of it, right? Like, it can't just be waiting for the next coach to come in and fix the flaws of the current coach. You're never going to have a a perfect coach. That's not how it works. Well, one other thing I thought about a lot was – I think if we consider, and this is a good text we got in, I think having Bradshaw, very structured defensive assistant coach, was the difference last year. Boudreau needs highly structured assistant coaches where he focuses on player interaction and running the bench over how they play. You know, I think it's an interesting question to ask. Like, did did a front office that clearly had concerns about Boudreau Mm -hmm. actually put him in a position to succeed last year? Right. And and yeah. I think there's a lot of evidence, like think about how important and how often this organization has talked about the importance of bringing in Jeremy Colton. But when they brought in Jeremy Colton, they promoted, quote unquote, the AHL assistant that they clearly didn't want running the AHL bench. And he was the only coach fired alongside Bruce Boudreaux. They brought in Mike Yo, and Boudreaux told media that that was his decision. But Yo goes back to the Pittsburgh organ. I mean, he goes back with Patrick Alvin 20 years. I think we can side eye that. They also promoted... Uh, Rachel Dory to the coaching staff, and and she later, uh, uh, of course, was terminated, and you can read all about it in a public HRC filing. Was this coaching staff actually given, was Boudreaux in particular actually given the best weaponry this past season? I think given the the set of facts that I just laid out and those logical leaps, I don't, I don't think it's fair to suggest that they weren't. Yeah, and I uh, I tend to be a little skeptical of the emphasis on assistant coaches that we get here in Vancouver. Like, it's wild. Vancouver leads the league in talking <laughs> about assistant coaches, good or bad. Well, also, like, either this one is killing us or this one is amazing. Also, Having said that, though, I will fans say... fans like, believe that they have like four of the most impactful assistant yes. coaches in the history of the NHL over the last three seasons alone. Yes. It's unbelievable. But having said that, I think that text is a really interesting one, right? And, like, even as I'm a little bit skeptical of overrating the influence of assistant coaches, like, I agree, somebody as well-regarded as Brad Shaw and his particular skill set working alongside Bruce Boudreaux does seem like it makes a lot of sense and a way to maybe compensate uh, for some of the flaws in Bruce Boudreaux's game. So I, I like that text as much as I – typically when I see people start talking about the assistant coaches, I'm like, okay, maybe that's not actually what, what's going on here. But that's an interesting one. I like that read. So we all buy the talk at bump, but I just don't think it's fair I, – I don't know if we all do, but I do for what it's worth. I know that there was a relatively soft schedule, and I know Demko returning uh, deserves the lion's share for this team's turnaround and results. But even before Demko returned, this team was controlling play and making far fewer of those like ghastly oh, yeah. giveaways or quitting on plays the way we saw previously. We saw a lot more concerted back-checking. We saw a lot more ability to move the puck now was part of that, too, a, a accumulation of injuries on the back end that actually left Vancouver's defense like faster. I think, yeah, that's part of the story, too. It's not... You know, it, it's always chicken in the egg when you're discussing the impact of coaches. But, like, fundamentally, I think Tockett's done a really good job. I think he's a good coach. And I think the commentary from the players reflected stuff that was true, even though it needs to be taken with a grain of salt, as all anecdotal evidence does, because it's almost a perfect match with the, the player discussions of Boudreaux's impact a year ago. Uh, all of that said, all that said, I, I think we need to be careful not to be teased once again in the exact same manner in terms of how we analyze this team moving into the offseason. Like, even with the third softest schedule in the league after the All-Star break, and that's based, or actually after December 23rd, January 23rd, when Rick Tocca was hired, that's per Dom Lecision's model. Bing! The Canucks were still only the 13th best team by point percentage, right? It's not like they took this soft schedule and feasted. They took a, 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 an enormously soft, soft schedule and played well. 
There are reasons to believe that this team can improve, particularly if Demko stays healthy, if Hironik is as good a fit as it seems he'll likely be. And I'll, I'll add a third X factor that I'm really paying attention to, which is, is Ilya Mikheyev flying around the ice again? Mm. Because he could be a huge add if his two-way play driving ability, which clearly was compromised through no fault of his own, but just because of the ACL tear. Uh, if he returns, I mean, that's a huge ad for this team. So, yeah, do we get Toronto Ilya Mikheyev, which we right. didn't really see but, but, this year. But maybe with hands. Maybe with the hands <laughs> the hands he showed this year yeah, yeah, yeah. combined with the speed. With the legs he had in Toronto. Right? That's yeah. that's what – that's like, there are reasons to believe that this team could be more. Um, but I also think we need to be careful about, like, overfitting the narrative of it was just the coach. You know, and I, I'm really curious as we wait to hear from Alvin and, and Rick talking, I'm curious to hear how much – that's crowed about or how much they keep in mind what bear suggested that like at the end of the day everyone starts at zero yep. next year and we have to earn it we haven't accomplished and much i will here. say and again it, it is going to be interesting to hear from patrick alvin and again he and rick talkett are going to address the media at twelve thirty. of course you'll hear it live right here one of the reasons that i have been high on rick talkett it's not even for me it's actually like less about the results than more just observing what I've been able to observe of the process of Rick Tockett, which is obviously tough, you know, on the outside. We're not there on a day-to-day basis. But, like, to Tockett's credit, I don't think he has been sugarcoating the personnel deficiencies of this team. Not that he's been, like, you know, extraordinarily harsh about the team because he's still the coach and he's still trying to get the best out of them, right? But, like, he's talked very openly of, hey, we're still looking for, as you said, those north-south guys that can play with Elias Pettersson. We're still looking for guys who can do a lot of the things that he's talking about and he's kind of left it open like maybe there's a possibility these guys all have really big summers or some of them have really big summers and they come into training camp and are able to do that but implicit in that is that if it doesn't happen if that improvement doesn't come internally you're gonna have to go find the guys that can do it that can play that style so I think at least for Rick Tockett he has he's been pretty open about like it's not just structure Right? He's come in and he's instituted a structure, and yeah, that can always get better and they'll work on it more at training camp, but the players also need to either be better at certain things or you got to find players. you got to find players who can be better at those things. I think I think that's to Tockett's credit that he hasn't come in and basically said, like, see, we fixed it. You know, He's like, no, 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 we still need to do a lot of things better or find different players. So five things I'm interested in hearing really quick before I run down yes. to take part in this availability and then run back up to, to rejoin you for the third segment because Alvin and... Talk it are scheduled to speak in about 10 minutes here, so stay tuned mm-hmm. to Sportsnet 650. Uh, but, you know, in in doing that, uh, in saying that, we'll go to break shortly, and uh, and then when they come back, I, I'd expect them to be pretty close on time today. <laughs> I, I feel like I everyone, so, yeah. everyone wants to be punctual and, yeah. and go about their summer. So, five things I'm curious to hear about. Number one, I'm curious to hear how Alvin and Talkit frame like the success under Tockett, right? 6-11 point percentage, 13th best in the league. How much do they read into that? And how much do they sell that as part of this club's success, right? That's number one. That's the number one thing I'm interested to hear. Number two from Alvin, is there a statement clarifying or explicitly giving a vote of confidence or, or throwing any cold water before the offseason begins on the prospect of a JT Miller trade? That's number two. Mm-hmm. Number three, I'm curious to hear them discuss the cap situation and, and the possibility of buyouts, right? Number four, and this is actually probably number one, like this is the most important one, and I know it seems a little bit 
cursory, but but truly, I think this is going to tell us a lot about Vancouver's offseason. What are Tucker Pullman and Tanner Pearson's statuses from the organization's point of view? Are they hopeful that they will participate for this team next season? I think that's a fascinating one. And then number five, when asked about extending Elias Pettersson, what is Alvin's response going to be? How much confidence is he going to project to this market? I think that'll speak volumes. So those are the five things I'm most interested to hear from this availability. Anything stand out to you? Well, the one that I'm most interested in is just how they talk about the cap situation. And, you know, the, I you was, and me interested in the cap. I, I know. Look what? at us. Canucks Look talk? at us. I was so fascinated when the language changed from like cap cushion to cap compliance at, <laughs> at the, at the, at the uh, post trade deadline. Are we going to get an update? Is it going to be again like, hey, listen, don't worry, we're going to be compliant. Are they going to, you know, now that we're, we're the off season is here, right? It's not theoretical. We're not looking down the road to the off season. The off season is here. What are we going to hear about buyouts? What are we going to hear about attaching assets to move contracts? Brock Besser said, hey, I actually don't want to be traded. Like, okay, well, what does the management think of that? Are they is, are they still shopping him or are they open to bringing him back? Well, like, I think those those conversations are going to be really interesting and equally important. Equally important. How did 31 other teams feel about potentially acquiring Brock Besser? Yeah. You know? Uh, it's going to be such a difficult market, I think, for scoring wingers, particularly when you look around the NHL and think, like, the Flames need to shed money and Dubé's on the last year of his deal and the Kings need to shed money and Arvidsson's on the last year of his deal and would it be a shocker if Toronto made Nylander available this summer and would you be surprised if Anthony Declare shakes loose in Florida? And I mean, just go down the list, like... Go go look at the rosters of the ten most ten most capped out contending teams. If you think critically about what would they most want to give up to, to, to find a route to improve, guess what? It's a scoring winger usually with less term and similar counting stats to Garland and Besser. Patrick Alvine and Rick Tockett are up next. We'll be back after to break it all down. It is Canucks Talk, Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk live from Rogers Arena, live from the Kintech studio as well. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online. At DunbarLumber.com, we are awaiting Patrick Alvine and Rick Tockett to step up to the podium here at Rogers Arena for their year-end media availabilities. We will go live there. As soon as they are ready to get speaking, Drance is down uh, in the media room because he will be asking questions. Uh, he will be back up with me after the press conference ends, whenever that is. Uh, we expect probably half an hour to 40 minutes, something like that. Uh, and we will have you covered for instant reaction and analysis to what the general manager and the head coach of the Vancouver Canucks have to say. Uh, we will be with you until 2 o'clock. Then Bick Nazar will take over with the People's Show, and uh, I would expect that Bick will be opening up the phone lines so you can get your reaction in. So make sure you stay tuned in for that. And if you have something to say, you can give Bick a shout coming up at 2. Here is Patrick Alvine and Rick Tockett. Start with your thoughts on the season as a whole. Obviously not where you guys wanted to be, but you know, with Rick coming in and some of the changes you saw, your thoughts on where you are now and where you're headed heading into the summer. Yeah, you're right. Uh, it's not fun to sit here again as early. Uh, I think it was two part of the season. Um, 
I'm really excited how we finish up here. Uh, with, just with the mindset of the players and the coaching staff, uh, the communication uh, within the group, uh, the structure, uh, the details we were able to play with, uh, improving our practice habits. Um, seeing that there is, uh, you know, same, we're on the same page in Vancouver and down in Abbotsford and, and watching some of the younger players develop down in Abbotsford and, and some of the younger players getting a chance to showcase himself up here in, in Vancouver was important for us the second half. So um, in the end of the day, it, it's, it's for me being here a year now, a year and a half, it's a step forward. Um, uh, again, I think the players uh, understand how we going to have the culture and the standard moving forward. So um, the exit meetings here was very positive, and, and I think the players understand what it takes for them to be prepared for training camp. So it's a big summer for, for, for all the players. Patrick, when Elias met with us the other day, he said four words that you probably wanted to hear. He said, I like it here. Um, you're facing probably a landmark contract extension with him at some point. Uh, what is that process going to be like? I mean, obviously, uh, he's under contract for another year, but he's your one of your most important players. And to send him and the fan base the right message, uh, can, can that get done this summer? And how soon will you start talking to J.P. Barry? Well, I'm glad Elias say more, more than four words to me. <laughs> so... Uh, I have uh, good uh, communication with Elias here, and uh, uh, even going back to last year when we first started to work together here, and, and uh, um, the communication we had leading into summer and the importance for him to be prepared, and I think he, he really took a big step here in maturity. And uh, for the most of the year, uh, really impressive two-way hockey, really impressive how he carried this team and also uh, helped other players around him to get better. Um, I've been talking to Elias here, and, and uh, we're going to continue to talk, and I'm very optimistic, and, and I just believe that he's scratching the surface here. There's, there is more for him to come. Um, you know, hit, hitting 100 points is great, uh, but again, for him, it, it's learning how to do that after uh, 82 games, that's where you're going to get more respect in this league. And I think Elias and the, you know, Quinn, the same there. Uh, they're just scratching the surface. And I'm, I'm very excited uh, with, the, with the people I have here in place to help those guys uh, be able to take the next step. One of your mandates, which is a mandate for any GM in the league, is to try to create more cap space. Uh, you look at your roster, you have a lot of wingers. Uh, my curiosity is uh, Brock had a pretty good second year, especially under Rick's uh, tutelage. I mean, he came a couple points short of his career high. Where are you with Brock in, in the sense of, you've said before, you know, you don't want to give up on a younger player and a pretty good second half. What do you make of that? No, I, I think, uh, as I said, I, I feel for Brock. I mean, he went through a tough, uh, tough summer, um, family-wise, off the ice, um, got injured early in training camp, uh, struggling uh, the first half. I think his mindset... Um, given credit, though, he pushed himself hard, um, and the last two months, um, I think he played his best hockey since I got here a year ago. Um, I think he uh, understands uh, that there's, uh, there's need to be changes in his, his off-season training to come prepare for training camp, and, and uh, 
you know, get his kind of get his name back. Uh, but but again, I, he is in a, in an age where where he should be able to take a next step if he's if he's willing to to sacrifice and put the time in in the summer. Rick, when you sat there on January twenty second, one of the first things you said was, "I have to find a way to back off the ice time of my top guys." And then you played the wheels off Hughes and and Petey and Miller. Did you come to the realization that you had to do that? as the best chance to win hockey games or at this time next year when you're hoping to be in the playoffs and you want them to have something left in the tank? Like, what's the strategy moving forward with your top-end guys? Well, I think as the process uh, was going, they deserved it. They deserved it over other guys. Um, and I, I, I think that, uh, you know, the PK was really bad here. And uh, when... You know, I send those two guys out. Um, it started to get some traction. Other guys started being better in the PK, so that helped. Um, the five-on-five five play from other guys helped. I thought Quinn Hughes, uh, who played a lot, um, he elevated his game to another level. So I, it was hard for me to back those guys off. Um, you know, uh, for me to go in there and back those guys off, I don't know. You know there, there's integrity and character, and I think they, they saw that. They were responding to what we were doing, and I couldn't back off. Um, and I wanted to push the other guys to, to fight for ice time. Um, so I don't know if that answers your question, uh, but that's kind of my feeling. You were able to do it for 36 games. Can you do it for 82 games, though? To, uh, for those guys? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, uh, that's four and a half months off. You, you train for it. You know, there's going to be an un- there's an, it's not just those guys. It's it's our team. We have to go to uncomfortable levels and pain to get to the, the way we want to play to be in shape. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, but obviously we have to have other guys fill the minutes. Absolutely. I mean, I'm, you're probably going to play those. You mean play those three guys every night the same? Absolutely not. But uh, to win hockey games, those guys are going to have to get a lion's share of ice time for sure. Patrick, getting back to your opening statement, you talked about the structure that you saw under Rick. You talked about the practice habits testament to what you did, but I'm curious about the decision to win a bunch of meaningless, meaningless games instead of staying where you were, which was probably, I think it was sitting sixth from the bottom, a better playoff spot. Could you not gain the structure? Could you not get those habits in training camp and in the preseason to ensure a better playoff position or a drafting position? Well, we all know that that that's not a guarantee, but I think at, at the point where we made the changes, we felt, um, and Rich touched on it, and on our core guys, they were trending the wrong way. Uh, the energy level here, uh, walking into Rogers Arena, there wasn't much of a trust. Uh, we felt that when Rick was available, uh, and he was at that point, that that was the right choice for us. Uh, um, changing the culture, taking a step, changing the standard, getting the players uh, to continue to push themselves and improve. Um, we had a, a very depleted lineup the second half here uh, where guys were, were you know, shut down with injuries and, and uh, we tested a couple other, you know, younger goalies, seal-offs, get a lot of ice time here as well, as, as same as the back end. Uh, a couple of defensemen stepped up here. So I, I have a lot of respect for the players in this league and the integ- integrity of the players in and, and, uh, and the league. Um, I think, you know, we approached it here that, that this is a mindset moving forward. 
and uh, the players really responded well. How much has the mindset changed, keeping in mind that you only moved out one core piece, you still pretty much kept the same core intact, but you're dealing with those issues with those players. How much uh, have you looked at that core? And then second question for you, Rick, you spoke a lot about conditioning and guys getting in better shape come September, showing up here to play. Was it alarming to you to see what you inherited with, with, with the state of some of the players' condition? Yeah, I mean, listen, I'm not throwing anywhere the bus. I, I just know from my past success, you know, I've had failures myself and, and, and successes. There's a level of fitness that you have to achieve, achieve to, to, to go to the levels you want. And um, no, they weren't at that level. Uh, are, they, were they, are, are we getting there? I hope so. Um, but no. Um, well, again, I, I think that the biggest thing was to build in the trust here for the players, to feel safe, and that's the environment we want to create. When, when the players open up, they, they're going to feel trusted here. They're going to know what their role and responsibility is, and, and it's my job to communicate with the coaching staff how we, we're going to run this team moving forward, and I think the coaching staff have, have built it in a fairly short period of time, the trust from the players that, that they enjoy walking back in here. They enjoy being in practice, they enjoy, um, you know, getting teaching, uh, communication, um, and pushing themselves harder. So it, it's credit to the players that they respond, responded really well. But again, we got four and a half months off here, so or message players yesterday, what are we going to do here in the summer? It, it's up to you guys where you guys can dictate where, where this team is going. And uh, I'm excited with the response from the players, but um, I'm sure we're going to, you know, continue to work with the players. The coaching staff will continue to work with the players during the summer, uh, different ways to do it, um, and, and see where we are. Patrick, it seemed clear right from the end of last season from public comments made, made by you and Jim uh, and over the months that came after that you really felt that coaching was an issue. There was culture issues. There was system issues, preparation issues. Why did it take so long to make a coaching change, especially when the team got off to such a bad start to the season? Well, first and, and, and foremost, I, I felt that Bruce um, – Earned, earned his way to coach the team another year. I mean, with him coming in here last year and the record he had and the job he did, he definitely earned his way to coach the team. Um, you know, you, you again, uh, want to give him a chance to, to uh, uh, get this team going, um, see how the players sp responded. And, and uh, you know, uh, some of the injuries were related to uh, the bumpy start we had there, the little bit of inconsistency as well. But... Uh, you know, as the season went on, I felt that uh, you know uh, we weren't we weren't connected um, as a, as a group and a, and a team in here, and that's where I felt that uh, uh, needed to be a change. And and as I said, I went through a process, and and I felt that Rick was a, the right fit for this group moving forward. And and at that point, he was available. Given the response from the fan base and from people around the league, do you have regrets over how the coaching change was handled? I think Jim touched on that uh, when we were did the press conference. Uh, yeah, uh, you know, it's it's never when you do a coaching change midseason, it's it's never a perfect uh, way. But it, uh, you know, until everything is 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 on paper and everything is is done. Um, you know, that's just unfortunate. But there was no, uh, no intention of, of hurting, hurting anybody's feelings or anything like that. 
Patrick, over here, I just wanted to follow up on, on Ben's question earlier about uh, Elias and the contract. You, you talked about his growth and things like that. You've still got another year of club control on the player after next season. So I know you said you're going to talk. How big of a priority is it for you to get an extension done this offseason? Well, as I said, you're right. We have, uh, I believe, two years uh, that we control him. And, and I mean, it, it's for me, working with Elias here for, for a year and, and a couple of months, we're just starting to build the, the trust and, and uh, um, the relationship here. And I, I think the, the, the players, the leadership group here, understand my vision and, and uh, or process of becoming a contender here. And I think they're, the, the way they responded, um, you know, especially Quinn, Elias, and, and JT was, was uh, pretty impressive. Um, so I think they were excited. Um, you know, again, uh, when, we, when we'll sit down here this summer with, with his camp and his agents, and I'm familiar with his Swedish agents as well, so um, I'm, I'm excited. Uh, but I don't know when we're going to get, uh, you know, the, the signature on the paper there. It's, it's a process, obviously. Uh, question probably best served for Jim, but he's not here. Um, buyouts, do you expect them to be a part of what you're able to do to fix this team's cap situation this offseason? Um, I, I, my intention is not to use buyouts. Um, I get the support from, from uh, Jim and the, the ownership here to be, uh, you know, to, to, to put, a, put a competitive team in place here. But my vision, too, is like, you know, if you do buyouts now, they might, they might affect you down the road. And, and I just think that this group is uh, touching the surface of becoming a good team. So I don't want to use buyouts if we don't have to. I don't want to use buyouts that's going to affect us in a couple of years when this group is actually hopefully taking off. So as I said, the intention is not using buyouts at this point. Rick, you talked a lot over the last few weeks about wanting some of your players to stay in Vancouver so you can be a part of their off-season training. After going through the uh, you know, end-of-season meetings with them, are you expecting that to be a reality, be the case that some guys will spend some time here? Yeah, uh, I've had our exit means a lot of guys are going to try to make some uh, trips here uh, when they can, uh, come back earlier. So it's our job to make sure that uh, you know, we have things in place for them to train. Um, but yeah, um, JT Miller, uh, Husey, and <clears throat> Petey have talked about spearheading that, uh, which excites me. Um, you know, wherever I've gone, even as a player, the teams that kind of come early and train together uh, usually are successful. So um, I give them a lot of credit because they're spearheaded. Patrick, when, uh, when you spoke earlier this year, when Rick was unveiled, you talked about it not being a quick fix here. Uh, Jim, you know, has talked about the need for major surgery. Obviously, you've made some notable changes to your roster. How far along is that process? How many more changes do you think need to be made heading into this offseason to improve the supporting cast around the core group that you have here? Yeah. Um, yeah, we made, we made strides here. I, I think some of the, uh, you know, younger guys, so Rookus uh, took a big step here under Rick the uh, last two months. Uh, 
I'm excited about the players down in Abbotsford. We have been able to uh, attract uh, a lot of younger players to come and play for the Canucks here. Um, our staff have done a really good job. I'm very happy with, uh, with the development staff who put the place here, working with the younger players. Uh, you know, this will, this will be a, a, a big step for younger players to compete in the play in, in American League playoffs and, and hopefully learn uh, what it takes to, to be in a, in a playoff environment here and, and grow by that. Um, you know, hope we, we're hopeful that uh, there is going to be more internal competition uh, coming into training camp here. But, yeah, we acknowledge there is some holes in our lineup that we need to, uh, to fill this summer. Patrick, uh, Ethan Bear, since coming over, was uh, was a pretty good acquisition for you guys. You obviously have a decision to make on him, and he's uh, due for a raise here. Do you believe that he can be a, a top four defender for a playoff team? And uh, and how much? Uh, and, and where do you stand in terms of the priority to uh, retain him or not? Yeah, no, I I think Ethan, uh, you know. Um, had a little bit of uh, inconsistent season. He had, he had his injury here when he got his puck through his mouth there. Um, I think Ethan, um, uh, first and foremost, we're, we're happy to, to come to Vancouver and play here. Uh, I do think that he's, uh, I, I, there is more to come from Ethan with a good summer, uh, getting in shape and learning how to play. Uh, uh, we're excited about, uh, about him, and, and we, you know, we, during the year we had conversations. Uh, uh, and I respect that, that he wanted to take a step back and wait. And uh, uh, I'm not sure if he's, he's worth a race or not. But, uh, <laughs> but he's, he's a good person and, and a good player for him. Rick, uh, you've been here for four months now. Of course, I'm asking you as you take a sip of water. So apologies. <coughs> um, you've been here for four months now. How do you assess where this team is at? And where do you see holes that you want filled over this? Has it been summer? four months? Almost. Wow. <laughs> wow. Okay. Um, well, listen, I'm not sitting here patting myself on the back at all. I, I got to get better as a coach. Um, what I do like is uh, the staff has really helped me, the guys that I brought in, the guys that have been here. Um, the people around the, the organization has been great. Um, and I, I give the players a lot of credit. You know, it's been, it's, it, it was a tough situation this year. Uh, so I give them a lot of credit how they've bounced back in certain respects, you know, and, you know, we know there's, there's a lot of different narratives painted, you know, why didn't you tank and is it just a coach's bump and it's all the stuff we hear. And I love that stuff because that should fuel the players and it fuels me. Uh, we can change the narratives to whatever guy people say. So um, saying all that, it's been, a, it's been a great experience for me, um, a learning experience too, and, and dealing with some players and evaluating players, but uh, we got a long way to go, and that's we all know that. Um, and where we take it, it's you know it's it's up to us to change these narratives. And Patrick, with the salary cap expected to not raise that much this summer, uh, how difficult is it to make changes heading into the new campaign? Yeah, I, I think we saw that during the year um, that there is uh, that it's definitely harder to make changes, and, and we saw it um, coming down to the to the deadline here. Uh, some of the playoffs teams, how, how difficult it is, and and uh, you're going to be creative. Uh, so I expect that's going to be the same thing uh, this off season as well. And and we got a uh, we got a lot of work ahead of us here, um, just not to just to shave cap space to improve our team as well. Patrick, related to the the preparation aspect, the physical training. Is there any update on a search for a practice facility? Uh, 
I guess Jim should have been there. <laughs> no, uh, I think they're working and talking um, uh, with, with our uh, business side and, and uh, the city, and, and I think that's something we were, you know, we would like to see uh, moving forward. Does, you're, I think only one of two teams that doesn't have their own practice facility. Do you think that puts you at a disadvantage? Uh, you know, uh, certainly make it a little bit uh, harder, um, you know, when you have when when the building is not available and and you know as we have now construction here, but uh, the players' mindset have been great. I mean, they, they want to be downtown. They love to be here at Rogers, but uh, you know, uh, yes, would I, I I would think the city of Vancouver would would be benefit of, of a second sheet of ice for sure. A lot of good youth hockey players here, so um, absolutely, if if the connection helps, so yeah. I could tell you one thing. Every time um, myself and the coaching staff are walking in there, we're walking in with a mindset to get better and be a playoff contender. Um, you know, that's what we challenge each other every day to find solutions here. Um, I'm a process-driven person, and I believe um, if we're going to, you know, make steps here, we're going to do the right things every single day. And... Uh, uh, starting next year, training camp. I think I think the coaching staff here got a, a head start here um, over the last, I guess, four months. Uh, uh, and I'm excited about coming into training camp because their knowledge now about the players and what we need and how we need to play, and also for the players understanding what the coaches want to want to how they want to play. Um, our job is to get better from game one to game 82. Um, I, I'm very excited about the core of, of good players that we have here, and I don't see a reason why we can push uh, uh, coming into game one next year. Just a reminder, please use your hands and let the microphone be there. No problem. Thanks. Uh, Ryan Johnson said something on Friday uh, in his interview with uh, the play-by-play -play guy with Abbotsford saying it's difficult to upgrade your team with free agents and trades. It's a lot easier to develop them in Abbotsford in your AHL team, something you had a lot of success with your last organization that you worked with. How important was that this season, just getting these younger players into Abbotsford and seeing the success there? It was very important for us, and, and important for us to build out the, the, the development staff so we had more resources for the younger players. I, I, I do believe that... that uh, when I came in there a year ago, uh, um, you know, the big part was to restructure uh, the hawk operations and, and build out the better foundation. And uh, uh, a big step uh, was to get uh, Jeremy Colleton in there to be a coach uh, with his experience of uh, developing players, uh, coaching in the National Hockey League. Um, give Brian Johnson a lot of credit. He, he uh, he's a guy that uh, that worked extremely hard and, and was a big part of the, of the culture change here and, and the messaging to the younger players. Um, it's very excited um, to have 
you know, agents and players want to come and play in, in, in Vancouver Canucks. Um, and even no, no issues at all, understanding that the process of getting to Vancouver is going to go through Abbotsford. It's not going to be any shortcomings. The player's going to earn it, and it's our job to help the players to get invested and put the players in a position to succeed there. Is that something you're going to try to communicate to some of the European prospects, the guys who develop in the SHL or Alsvenskin, Liga, KHL, whatever it is? Are you going to try and make an effort to get them over here sooner, like Philip Johansson as an example? Well, I think every player is, is unique. I, I, you know, I think the players dictate when they are ready. Um, you know, it's a big step, uh, either if you're coming from college or, or uh, Europe. Uh, it, it needs to be your mental preparation needs to be there. It's, it's tough. It should be tough. Um, we're not rushing any players. The players would dictate to us through the development staff where they are in, the, in their development path and where they're ready to go. Um, you know, um, Philip, as an example, he felt that, that he wanted another year in Sweden uh, was important for him. And, and uh, our guys uh, supported it. And, and uh, Chris Higgins and Mike Komisarek and, and Michael Samuelson have done a, a tremendous job uh, communicating and watching him during the year. And, and we're excited um, to have him in our, in our system here. Patrick, you acknowledged moments ago that your lineup has some holes that will need to be filled this summer. Um, are, you any to, are you able to share any insight on your early thinking on what some of those holes are for the moment and the evaluation prospect, uh, process you and your staff will go through in determining what you need? Yeah, I think uh, you know, playing uh, since Rick get in here and, and uh, shutting down a couple players and giving some of the younger players an, an opportunity to have... Uh, uh, different roles and, and taking on different responsibilities is give us uh, a little bit of a you know a sense what we have here within uh, the system. Um, I do think that uh, you know obviously we, we have a, a third line center uh, is something that, that uh, we're discussing here. Uh, do we have that internally or do we need to go outside to find that? Uh, you know, we were excited about some of the, the younger guys on the, on the back end there. Breespa, uh, uh, Yulson, uh, you know, Burroughs got a chance to play on the right side and, and fitting in the system here and did really well. Um, got a taste of Hirose, McWard, uh, Rowdy. Um, so over the next couple of weeks, we were, our job is to, you know, uh, Rick and I haven't really, we had the players' exit meetings here. We're going to sit down and go through um, or line up and, and or needs and, and potential um, and see what's available out there. I think we all had a sense last offseason, sandpaper speed were, were what your team felt it needed more of. Is there any catchphrases, any sort of things that you're thinking over that you want to graft onto this roster as it stands? No, I, I you know, Rick wants to play uh, north-south hockey and, and speed is important in Tingerans there. And, and, you know, I think... Uh, uh, Neil Salman and, and Dakota Yasha had, had um, you know, good endings here. The first-year guys, it, it's, you know, you're inconsistent, and, and you're learning what you need to improve on. And uh, I think other guys, too, um, took, took some steps. And, and we got, uh, in that regards, Nils Hoglander being down in Abbotsford here that, that will probably f suit pretty well how, how we want to play moving forward. So... Um, yeah, I, I mean, the game is really fast. Uh, you see the top teams in the league, uh, they're a fast team, fast assisting uh, team, and, and um, I think those are the areas that we're going to you know, stay focused on. 
we had an opportunity to chat with Tanner um, a couple days ago. Uh, between Tanner and Tucker Pullman, do you have any updates? Are you expecting them to try and resume their playing careers next season? I, I think that's, um, and I think Tanner probably touched on it. It's unfortunately a little bit too early to see where they are. Um, I, I do feel for both of those guys. It's 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 sad to see when, when players have to go through that. Uh, uh, or hope uh, with our medical staff and our support staff here is to help those guys to get back uh, first and foremost to a normal life and and, uh, and then secondly support them uh, in the off-season off uh, training here. I've got uh, one question for Rick and two for you, Patrick. I'll start with you, Rick. I know there's a lot that will go into uh, trying to resume where you left off this year to start the next year. But what to you is the single most important thing about sustainability? What's the one thing that you think is the most? Empowering that leadership group, you know, take them to a different level um, is something that uh, is a priority for me that they've worked on with me and the staff. Um, so that's pretty well the, the one thing that uh, I guess that's the priority for me because yeah. it's going it's to feed everything else. And Patrick, um, you and, and Jim have said many times about, you know, the need to create some cap flexibility. And I, assuming that that is still a priority to find a way to find more flexibility, does what Brock told us on Saturday about not wanting a trade, does it really change anything for you? Because you may still have to make a trade of a player with a contract to create that flexibility. Does it change anything for you what Brock said? Well, I, I was very pleased uh, in all the exit meetings to hear the respond for the pla from the players and the excitement moving forward and want to be here. Uh, again, we acknowledge we're sitting here in April where we, you know, next year want to play. Um, so my job is, is to, to improve my team here. Um, and part of it is to be creative and, and finding uh, flexibility there, um, you know. Uh, we acknowledge we weren't good enough, so there, there's going to be some changes. And you, uh, well, I guess Jim had a big press conference uh, after the Pearson was shut down to talk about the medical staff. Obviously, you have a lot of expertise on your medical staff, not necessarily a lot of pro hockey experience before this this season. Will you review? Uh, the medical staff. Do you think you need to review how things were handled and whether you need to add anybody to that group? Well, we, we are reviewing uh, constant or, or, or players and our staff to get better. I think our medical staff had faced a lot of different uh, injuries during the year. Uh, I think they worked extremely hard, uh, get players back. Um, uh, very pleased with the response from the players uh, regarding the medical staff, and it, it's it's us it's on us to to make sure we have um, what the players need uh, around here, um, staff members wise. So so uh, yeah, that's something we're talking about, and see if there is uh, extra people that needed to be added or not. I have one for Rick and one for Patrick. Uh, Rick, uh, when you look at your center ice position, just to uh, follow up on what was said earlier, um, you've got guys with a year left, some bottom six guys. 
and you, you were playing Miller on the wing, and of course he's a center by trade. Having said all that, do you feel the need that at the third line center position that you may need to do something there? I mean, it's, it's, it's a pivotal position. Do you, do you think you, you need help there? Yeah, uh, that's the one thing with the relationship with Patrick. We both need, you know, we both know that, that you know, the third line center is a pivotal you know, role, whether it's, you know, a couple of guys we have, can they fill that role or we have to go get it? But yeah, um, but I'd like a guy to take some face-offs for us other than PD or Millsy, uh, save them. Yeah, that's a priority for us. Uh, whether it's, you know, we have to develop that guy here or we find it. Uh, you know, that's kind of how I look at it. What you have in the system, would it kind of maybe going after a UFA who maybe on a short term, an older guy who could really help you in that regard, not only kind of steady the ship, but be better in the circle, maybe helping the people. Yeah, better, exactly. Face-offs, you know, um, you know, a grittier guy, a guy that, to, that can uh, settle things down for sure. They're hard to find. You know, that's why it's my job to, is it Niels Allman? Like, you know, we got to get him to work this summer on his face-offs. You know, that's something that he's got to work on. You know, is it uh, somebody else? I, I think that's a big key. Um, instead of me, you know, throwing Millsy or, or uh, Pete over the time to, uh, to do face-offs, give them some juice in the offensive zone. So, yeah, that's, uh, you know, we talk, that's the one thing we, we talk about, communicate all the time. We're, we're on the same page, Patrick and I. Patrick, uh, Colin Dealey is a UFA who had a pretty decent run here. Uh, I know you talk a lot to Ian Clark about the goaltending situation. What's your philosophy in dealing with a UFA in that position, knowing you have guys in Abbotsford who are under contract who you may want to keep there or promote back here? Have you had much thought in that? What yeah, no, that? definitely. It's it's part of our uh, discussion as a staff moving forward here. But, uh, yeah, as you recognize, Dealey, I won a lot of games for us. Uh, Seelofs came up here and played well, and, and uh, Spencer Martin has shown that he's capable of playing well, and he's been playing well, playing well in Abbotsford here, uh, the second part, and, and the addition of uh, Tolapilo um, as a free agent goalie here. Um, we, we obviously are going to continue to talk, and, and um, you know, Delia, Delia played well for us, no doubt about it. Patrick, you talked about some of the other players that have been injured. Uh, Travis Dermott is one that got injured right in training camp and missed most of the season. Um, what do you know about his potential return? And as a restricted free agent, how does that affect negotiating with, with someone in that situation? Yeah, very unfortunate with Travis Dermott, too. Uh, I thought he had a really good training camp. He was coming in here early uh, August, and, and we're prepared um, and unfortunately, I, I don't know how many games he ended up playing, but there wasn't that many. Um, he, he, uh, he, he has got help and, and treatment, and uh, he was in a pretty good spirit here um, leaving yesterday. Um, again, I think it's too early for us to, to say uh, anything until he starts skating and, and you know, getting into his workouts there. But uh, he's definitely a name we, we need to, um, to talk about here, uh, what, what we're going to do uh, leading up to the, to the summer and, and qualifying those RFAs. You mentioned Niels Hoaglander. He was a player who seemed to have established himself at the NHL level, but you sent him back down to the AHL to work on aspects of his game. Did you see him? Uh, progress in those aspects that you wanted him to work on, and do you feel that he is going to be an NHL player next season? Yeah, I think as an organization, we are very excited about Nils and, and his process down in, in Abbotsford. 
um, his mindset and his, his uh, commitment to playing the right way down there. And, and credit again to the staff down there uh, that's been working with Nils. I think Nils was put in a tough situation here. He was a young kid uh, that made a, the, uh, the Vancouver Canucks right out of training camp, um, I believe in, during the COVID year. Um, I mean, you, you very seldom you see guys not playing one American League hockey game. And, and I think the National Hockey League is not a development league. And I felt that at the point where uh, we had to make a decision, I thought he was, you know, in and out of the lineup, uh, played on every position. Uh, you know, he didn't, you know, he didn't have confidence. He didn't have trust walking in here. And uh, we believe in Nils. He's a, he's, he's a young, good hockey player. And uh, I'm excited to see him here, what he can do in the playoffs, playoff environment in, in Abbotsford. Patrick, you mentioned Artur Silovs a moment ago. Um, philosophically, do you have any thoughts on sort of a young goaltender and where he's best suited if he was to come in and earn the backup job here and Thatcher stays healthy, he's not going to play a lot as opposed to at his age. I mean, he showed well, obviously, but do you have thoughts on kind of what's best for a young goaltender or heavy workload in the AHL as opposed to backup at a young age in the NHL? Yeah, I mean, he took a big step this year playing a lot of games, uh, carrying the team down there. Um, and he, he definitely showed us that he's capable of playing at this level too. I think with a good summer for him, uh, you know, uh, coming into training camp, you know, he has to prove it. Uh, but I have no problem putting, a, you know, if the, if the young guys show that they're ready and they earn their way, I have no problem having him uh, playing up here and challenging Demko for, for games. And Rick, a lot of talk in the market about the captaincy and who should have it and who's ready for it and all that kind of stuff. Will there be a captain next season? And what is the process that you go through as a coach? How much is your say? How much is internally the, the group picking? <clears throat> yeah, I've been here four months. So my, my job was uh, obviously to um, empower a leadership group, talk to them, uh, spend time with them, uh, and see who emerges. Uh, we're, we're still in that process. I, I don't a date we're going to name a captain. But we have some good guys that have really stepped up. I think Quint uh, Huggy has been uh, absolutely terrific. Um, I don't know how he was before, but I, I heard he's been more vocal than ever from the players. Um, my exit meeting, uh, how, how professional and um, where he wants to take his game really impresses me. You know, uh, like a guy like Petey, you know, when I first got here, you know, very quiet guy, started to be a little bit more vocal, you know. Still, there's another level for him. And I thought Millsy was good. So any of those three guys, other guys could emerge uh, in the leadership group. So um, I don't have a, a date. And uh, obviously, Patrick, you know, and Footy and Gonch and, you know, Yosey, they, 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 and the, the twins, there's like Jim. There's a lot of people that I rely on um, who are going to have a voice in that, too. I, I, I don't know. I, I can't give you that answer. Uh, one for each of you. Uh, Patrick, you still have Phil DiGiuseppe and Vasily Podkolzin eligible for the AHL playoffs. Will we see them in the AHL playoffs? And I guess Podkolzin's still coming off an injury. Um, either of those guys? Yeah, no, uh, we uh, made a decision here with uh, DiGiuseppe that we were extremely pleased how we finished the year. Um, and we felt uh, with, with the contract we, we got him signed to that there was a risk to, to lose him on waivers. And he 
disturbed uh, to be with his, with his uh, family. He just had a kid. Um, and we felt uh, at this point that there was a, a, a bigger role for some of the younger players to take if Phil was not down there. So he's not going to play. Um, put Colson had a medical appointment here today, and uh, I'm hopeful that he's going to um, get cleared and, and be assigned down to Abbotsford and be part of that group. You got to see some young players get their NHL debuts under your view. Uh, how much of a boost is it for those guys to get that opportunity heading into next season where they want to win jobs, they got to play for you in a game? I mean, it's a little different for them and a guy like Niels Hoglander who didn't get that opportunity for you. I think it's huge um, because they get a taste of the NHL pace uh, games. Um, you know, what's it going to take? You know, I think uh, in my exit means they even said they, they didn't expect it this fast. Saying that, I was really impressed how they dealt with it. Um, you know, some, some of the games I get, meaningless games sometimes are different. I get that, uh, but I still believe that the taste that they got is going to give them a huge head start. You know, the game's going to be a little bit, you know, it's obviously going to be fast, but a little bit slower for them in training camp because they spent the month with us. Um, so, yeah, they got a baptism, um, which is big for us, and they handled themselves as pros. Um, it just adds to the depth of our D uh, when you put those two kids in, in the depth where you know that uh, there's potential. And I know, you know, Gotch and Footy uh, really are, you know, obviously myself are really excited that there's something there with those two kids. Patrick, getting back to uh, getting the support, the secondary players that you want to have to make this team a, a playoff contender. We've talked about a third-line center. With your team that you have, We've talked about all season long how tough it is to shed salary. In your mind, to get this team to where it is and adding the pieces, how much do you think you're going to have to carve out salary in the summertime to get the bodies that you need? And then secondly, how big is this summer for you and your management team with what this organization has gone through the last year? Well, again, I, I think we're probably just five or six games away from being a playoff team right now, um, point-wise. Um, that being said, though, it, it's, it's a process how you do things. Uh, yeah, you can go out and win games and come into the playoffs, but we all know if you don't do the right things every day, that's not going to be sustainable. And I think the biggest thing for us is the players understand how we need to practice and how we need to play every day in order to be a playoff team. For me, uh, coming here, watching the players want to think they want to play the, the A game when you're going to score a home run every, every night. You don't need to do that. In this league, you're going to learn how to play a B game on a Tuesday night where winning is important. Um, I think that's a mindset for the players here. Um, yes, uh, again, I'm not saying I, I want to sit here and, and have uh, cap space and not being good. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about you know, how can I find, you know, hockey deals, lateral moves uh, to improve our club? Um, how do we, how do we uh, create a, a roster here where the young players feel trusted and comfortable walking into this dressing room and game 55 pushing the older guys that, that they want to be part of this? I think those are the, the mindset and the culture and the standard we want to create here. Question for Patrick. Uh, how do you evaluate Oliver Ekman-Larsen's season uh, this year before he got hurt? And what role do you think he can play on your team next year? Uh, he he uh, 
had a had a tough summer. Uh, he did, decided to go to the World Championship and broke his foot there. Um, I think he said it started behind the eight ball. Uh, wasn't able to skate. Uh, I uh, thought he was uh, very inconsistent. Um, I do believe that that Oliver, uh, with the right mindset and the the conversations we had had here over the last couple of months, that he's willing to sacrifice to get his name back. Um, I think that 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 Oliver has potential to be a, still a, be a good um, NHL player um, with the addition of Ronick and and the the game that Quinn Hughes is playing in right now, we, we need Oliver to support those younger players here. And uh, uh, having uh, Adam Foote and Sergey Goncher here working with, with uh, Oliver and, and how we changed our defensive structure, um, I think it's his, his mindset and his, his uh, willingness to show us that he's willing to get back to where he belongs in the top um, pairings here. Um, I'm excited to see uh, him coming into training camp. And you've added some some defensemen in the last year. Uh, do you believe that you still need to change the mix uh, on the back end, whether perhaps get more physical or or maybe have some players um, you know more specialized on the penalty kill, for instance? Well, it's something we're going to talk about here over the next couple of weeks, but but. Again, I, I think it was great for uh, this current uh, staff to get a chance to, to get to know uh, Burroughs, uh, uh, Juleson, Volanen, uh, Hirose, and McWard, like younger guys that came in uh, and, and showed us what they're capable of. Um, saying that, the, the, the emergence of, of Jet Wu down in Abbotsford has been playing very consistent down there. Um, Philip Johansson coming in there as well. I think we have some, some good uh, depth pieces and with a good summer, I, I expect uh, some of them to, to uh, uh, make our decisions harder at training camp. Patrick, uh, around the trade deadline, you did take some calls on JT Miller. We know that his no trade doesn't kick in until July. Um, obviously, he played some of his best hockey the last couple of months of the season. If uh, teams call, will you listen? Is there a possibility? <laughs> yeah, I, I always listen to uh, to calls uh, to improve our hockey club. Uh, hockey club here, um, JT. Uh, again, since I get in here a year ago, I think he was traded everywhere. <laughs> all the rumors uh, for him to block all that out, uh, come back and be a big part of the of the leadership group here. Uh, the the game or the, the last 30 games, how he played was pretty impressive. The two-way game, uh, in my opinion, I think it's, it's not that many players with that kind of skill set and the hardness in the league that J.T. Miller. So um, I'm very happy to have him here. Um, but, but uh, you know, if anybody calls on, you know, hey, Gretzky got traded too. I, I'm not saying I'm not going to trade him, but I'm very pleased to have J.T. Miller in Vancouver Canucks. So sorry, are you going to trade J.T. Miller? <laughs> Does a deadline like that one, though, where an MC kicks in, focus your thoughts about a player's spot in your core group? Because your club talks about him as, as a core player, evidently. Um, you praised the last 30 games that he played, but does a deadline like that 
cause you to sort of up the urgency uh, of an evaluation? No, I mean, we signed the contract last year. We're pretty uh, um, convinced that, that he was uh, a good hockey player in the league. And, and just his consistency over the last, I believe, the last couple of years that he's been here, um, playing and pushing himself and, and how he conduct himself, uh, uh, there is no urgency. We've talked Patterson, Hughes, Miller, Silovs, and, and Delia, but... Uh, Demko and, and his usage down the stretch, his performance this season, uh, we know how costly it was w when your team was without him for, for three or four months. Um, do you have the space to add a veteran backup? Is that among your priorities this summer? Well, um, again, we're going to meet here, but but I, uh, I'm i encouraged by uh, the, 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 the process of, of seal-offs here. Um, you know, we still have uh, Martin, and, and I just... I don't anticipate spending a lot of money on, on that position. Um, uh, but I do think that, that we, we need to evaluate what we have here. And, and uh, again, a big part of that is, is uh, watching Abbotsford here in the playoffs. Rick, uh, when we talked to the players a couple days ago, a lot of them talked about you in particular and the changes you've made as a reason for optimism going forward. But they also mentioned your coaching staff as a whole, and a lot of them spoke about Sergey Gonchar and Adam Foote in particular. Uh, just your thoughts on the coaching staff you've assembled here, how things have worked for you since you've arrived, and how confident you are in the coaches you have around you as well. Yeah, I'm, you know, I think some of the best coaches are uh, not scared to hire guys better than yourself, you know. Uh, they're just, um, you, you put a staff together, not so much they have your back and all that stuff, but they preach what you, you believe in winning hockey is, and that's what they do. Um, we're going to spend a lot of time this summer, too, because I think there's better ways with the staff to even get better, uh, to teach, to get the information to the players better, to practice better. Um, you know, I think we, as coaches, we have to think outside the box um, on how to coach. And um, I'm still learning myself, how can I get this group to play the style we want um, is there better ways to do it? So, yeah, this isn't like as much as I give it to the players about, hey, this is a big summer. It's a big summer for the coaches. You know, they have, they're going to have some projects too. You know, we're not going to be lying on the beach for four months. Like, we got we got a lot of stuff to do ourselves. Um, so, yeah, saying that, um, I'm really lucky because I got a lot of good guys behind there that have a lot of good, uh, you know, ideas. You know, we, I'm a, I, I like ideas and, and a lot of different ways of doing things um, instead of doing the same thing. Um, I think you have to evolve as a coach. Building off that question, do you expect your entire coaching staff to come back for next season? Yeah, uh, we, that's uh, part of our agenda to, to evaluate the, uh, our staff and go from there. Um, there's a lot of guys here right now, so, uh, which I love. So we just, you know, we'll, we'll talk to Patrick and Jim and have an evaluation. It happens every, you know, every, every organization does that. And Patrick, you've got a few Russian players who could be going back to Russia. Given the uh, geopolitical situation that's going on, do you have any concerns about your players returning to Russia and whether or not they'll be able to get back to Vancouver? Uh, as far as I know, I'm not, I don't believe anybody will uh, go back, but um, um, I, that, that's the information I have. Patrick, uh, you know, Jack Rathbun started the season in the NHL. He got some games later on due to injuries. What's his path to the NHL for the club? Yeah, no, I, I think, uh, again, um, uh, I, I didn't uh, provide Jack uh, uh, 
a great opportunity early on. The team was struggling. He wasn't put in a position to succeed. Uh, um, I, credit to Jack again. I, I think he went down there with a great mindset and uh, was able to earn his way up here again and, and showcase him himself for, for the new coaching staff. Um, it's been a tough couple of years for Jack, but uh, we're excited where he is, and he, he's definitely going to be in the mix here of uh, competing about roster spots next year. Patrick, it's a big week for this organization, I think, because what's happening in Abbotsford. Uh, we've seen a synergy, I think, this season that we haven't seen before. You've played guys who've come up here. Uh, we've seen guys develop. You've mentioned Guillaume Brisebois. Um, how big is it for this organization to see the cupboard actually starting to fill up with prospects? Because that's been the knock. Have you had guys down there who have opened up your eyes thinking, you know what, maybe I don't need to go get a positional player because we're developing this one right here? Who have some of those guys been for you? Yeah, no, uh, very excited uh, about the opportunity here for, for Abbotsford. And, and more so uh, with, the, with the staff that, that I have now, the communication. Uh, you know, the twins uh, are up here working with the big guys and down in Abbotsford, and, and they really know the players really well, and the players feel comfortable too. Uh, Ryan Johnson have done a really good job. Um, I, I've been impressed with a lot of players down there. Um, you know, uh, Linus Carlson is uh, coming over from Sweden. I believe he played every single game there, uh, which, which is a credit to, to him. Uh, I thought he had a good training camp. And, and uh, uh, Atu Raddy, uh, another young player, he played World Juniors in August. He, he, sometimes you forget how young they are. Um, I think he's learning... Um, and growing in his role there. Um, Baines is another player that, that took major step. Uh, I think he needs a good summer. Um, we're excited about the, the college free agent signing uh, in Max Hassan, uh, getting a chance to, to, uh, to learn the system and how we want to play. And I think it was the right step for him to, to go to Abbotsford right away. Um, Hoaglander, uh, you know, it, it, Got to remember Klimovic too. I mean, he scored 16 or 17 goals here. Uh, uh, being only 20 years old, he could still play junior hockey. Um, you got to be patient with those guys. You're going to surround them with, with, with good older leaders um, and, and have enough coaches down there to work with them. So, uh, yeah, and, and then on the back end, Jet Wu, um, Philip Johansson here, and, and Rathbone, and those guys have been, uh, you know, uh, according to the information I got, be, been really, really consistent and improving there. So, so definitely we're excited about uh, this week and, and uh, the first game here on Wednesday. Thank you, everyone. That was Canucks general manager Patrick Alvin speaking alongside head coach Rick Tockett for almost an hour at Rogers Arena in a wide-ranging, fascinating year-end availability 650 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line it's Canucks talk here on Sportsnet 650 get your reaction in now Drance will hustle up uh, back to the broadcast booth here and we will be back with instant reaction to everything we just heard from Patrick Alvin again 650 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line more Canucks talk coming up on Sportsnet 650 hitting the most important topics for Vancouver sports fans the people's show with Vic Nazar subscribe and download the show on Apple Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd rejoined by my co-host, 
Thomas Drance, Canucks Insider, back in the broadcast booth here uh, at Rogers Arena. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Keeping you at the top of your game, now found together online at DLEAMC.com. Coming to you live from the Kintech Studio, Kintech Footwear and Orthotics. Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, we got a lot to get into, Drance. That was almost an hour uh, from principally Patrick Alvin, but also plenty from Rick Tockett as well. Wide-ranging. Solid. Uh, fascinating. Solid. I, like, Okay, we, let's start with the, the plain takeaways, which is 90% of the questions were directed at Patrick Alvin. Yep. Alvin has not typically been the most engaging speaker. He hung in there. I mean, I think most of the tough ones got asked, except that Rick Tockett wasn't asked about Kuzmenko. Mm. And I don't know if you caught this on the airwaves, but once it ended, and I see a lot of, why wasn't Kuzmenko brought up to Tockett in the inbox? <laughs> once the press conference ended, Tockett looked at the media pool and went, nothing on Kuzi, huh? Did he say that? <laughs> That's actually very so, funny. That did not come across on the airways. So I think he was prepared. No kidding. I would say so. <laughs> like you cram for the specific question on a test, and you're like, oh, they didn't ask about that. You Interesting. know what? This organization, I think, doesn't speak that much. So, like, from my perspective, and you'll notice, right, like, I was really asking specifically about, like, plans. Mm. Are you spending in goal? What do you need? <laughs> yep. like, like, I need to fuel a summer worth of, like, this is what the Canucks want. This is what the Canucks <laughs> need. This is, like, you know, I'm yep. literally thinking of it that way because who knows when this group's going to speak again. Yeah. But I thought Alvin was very... In, unless there's a major contract, like the draft. It could easily be the draft. <laughs> the or way, leading up to the draft. Again, with the way this front office has done business of late, right, in terms of being so closed off, uh, yeah, possibly. But all this said... Considering where Alvin was a year ago as a public speaker, I thought this was a really good performance, right? Executive stamina on display. Not a ton. Like, there are still moments where I feel like he's addressing a situation in an alternate universe from where this team actually is. But that's not his fault, mm. right? I, I think, like, when you hear it, it sounds good. Like, it sounds compelling. It's just that you think about it, you're like, no, nah, really? You know? I don't think he sugarcoated. Some of the tough things, right? Like, yeah, you know, he defended his medical staff, but also said, yeah, we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about making changes there. Um, you know, he was noncommittal about what to expect from Pearson and Pullman, which to me is one of the biggest items of uncertainty still looming. You know, if those guys are going to try to play next year, that really changes what Vancouver can accomplish this summer. That to me is like the biggest story. Honestly, the biggest story going into the offseason, until we have a firmer grasp of that, it's really hard to figure out what the Canucks can and can't do. I, I just thought it was a really clear, disciplined availability from Alvin. Yep. In particular, and I came away from it impressed. Uh, this text comes in from Peter. He says, Patrick Alvin is a master of speaking for an hour and saying absolutely nothing. I have no confidence in the future of the team. I don't agree that he said nothing, right? Like, yeah, of course there are moments where he kind of sidesteps a question, but every executive well, you have does to. that. Like, that, that's part of the game. And also, I think a lot of his stuff, even when he was sidestepping questions, spoke volumes, right? Like, it was revealing, even like, if he was sidestepping yeah, it. Yeah, like Ethan Bear. The Ethan Bear one was my favorite, right? Where he's like, Ethan Bear wanted to, you know – suspend ne negotiations during the season. We did so. Um, you know, I'm not sure if he's earned a raise, right? He joked. Well, you know what? Now we know where that contract negotiation is going. It's going yeah. in a fruitful, cooperative direction to the point where the player, the agent, 
no one would hear that and think anything but LOL, Patrick. Can't wait for that release to go out in 10 days. You know, like, come on, like, that spoke volumes. He told us way more by sidestepping the question and joking about it than he would have if he'd, you know, even if, yeah, we're, we're trending in a positive direction. Like, that's what he told us, even if he didn't actually tell us that. And I think in terms of kind of direct, like, information that you can rely on and use to kind of formulate what to expect, whether you agree with it or not, but there was more than I would have anticipated. Like, starting with my number one takeaway was my intention is not to use buyouts. Yep. My intention is not to use buyouts, and not just, like, that, so you still leave some wiggle room there, right? Because mm-hmm. you're saying my intention is, obviously that implies that situations could change, and you could end up doing it. He says he has the support from ownership to put a competitive team in place, but the actual analysis of why he doesn't want to use buyouts I thought was really interesting. I was very happy to hear it, because it matches, like, my queasiness with why I don't want them to buy out OEL, and, and for well, those who didn't hear it, it was early on, it was like... And it might be a hockey spin on a business question. Sure. <laughs> right? Like, but it's a good hockey spin. Yeah. You know, like, at the end of the day, sometimes that's the best you can do. Um, no one's intention is to use buyouts, though, right? Like, buyouts are always right. the last or, resort. Right. We always talk about this. But I think when it's backed up with, like, I don't I don't want to use buyouts, and you don't just stop there, right? Like, you could say, my intention is not to use buyouts, but we're going to explore every avenue we can. But right. this was, my intention is not to use buyouts for the specific reason that I don't want those dead cap hits on our book down the road when I think this team is actually ready to contend. I, I also think it's worth bearing in mind that while he was clear about his intention not to do it, that, it, you know, he didn't, he also didn't totally close the door. No, right? as I said. Which which yeah. also is, is worth remembering because in addition to the Canucks customers being the audience of that availability, ownership listens, players listen, mm-hmm. right? Like he also was keeping his options open and that might be, you know, an index for future conversations internally. I'm not saying they will be. I'm not reporting anything. I'm just saying, right, hey, look, we're aligned. None of us want to do buyouts, but right? there's, there's a conversation that that leads to in some ways. Um, that's worth noting. He said there will be changes in terms yep. of cap compliance. I think that's going to be really hard. Well, the other the other one that I thought, and it was kind of embedded in another question, but one of the things I thought was interesting, and this was kind of touching on a theme he started to talk about after the trade deadline, but where he said, you know, I don't want to have cap space, just have cap space and not be good. And then he specifically referenced, you know, how can I find hockey moves or lateral deals to improve our club. And when mm. you start to think of like all of the options you have to get inefficient contracts off your books, it's it's you know attached to a sweetener for another team to take it. It's uh, retain a ton of money in the salary. It's a buyout. Or, or a mix. Or it's take another team's inefficient contract back. Or right? a mix. Like, or a mix. What, what, if, what if it's a player with an inefficient contract that's longer than Bessers, right, in terms of term, right, and you retain and you sweeten the pot, right? If Philly hires a GM who's intent on doing a tear-it-down rebuild, right, and they've got Sanheim mm. or Provorov, who've got, you know, three and six years of term remaining on their deals at cap hits that closely match Bessers, you'd rather have Besser, you'd rather have those guys in terms of raw trade value. The Canucks need a lefty who's physical. Do you retain Ann Sweeten? Yeah. And then make a deal like that. I, I just That's an absolute brainworm, just like looking over teams cap friendly pages idea but i'm just uh, illustrating are those the sorts of options that this team is going to have to consider to make the changes they want third line center priority Mm -hmm. 
goaltender, not going to spend a on a backup. Yep. Um, uh, Arturs Silovs going to get a shot potentially to to back up a bit. I again think the Kachetkov example is one that's like really worth keeping in mind mm-hmm. there. The kind of platoon backup home away deal with the uh, with the Abbotsford team just down the road. Yeah. If, if Silovs is a backup next season, like exclusively, that's a that's a terrible error. The they can't do it, but he will be waiver exempt, so they have options. I also thought the commentary about Pedersen, right? The the organ. I, I don't think he left a lot of doubt that getting Pedersen signed soon would be mm-hmm. a priority for the club. Um, and look, I thought he uh, sidestepped landmines. I, I thought he was discipline focused. I, I mean, honestly, I was impressed by the availability, even if I don't buy all that he's selling, right? And and that's a, a good step for you know a second year GM whose first full cycle with the team has gone mostly poorly I, I thought that was a, a pretty solid uh, outing for Alvin yeah and as I said you know the specific uh, the buyouts uh, commentary and then specifically talking about there are going to be changes and referencing kind of lateral deals bad money for bad money I felt like that offered you know probably the clearest roadmap we have uh, for what we can expect going forward this summer uh lots of other things to get into here uh, and you can get your commentary in 650 oh, 650 i just want to pointedly note one thing um obviously there were some questions that should have been addressed to jim rutherford mm-hmm. um alvin joked about it himself another theme constantly in their holistic like alvin has over time sketched out a pretty holistic view of player development of accountability, of structure, right? I think it's hard for me to swallow a line about the impact of accountability on moving this organization in the right direction, given the absence of the president of hockey operations from a season-ending availability. Like, I wasn't going to do it because I didn't feel like... But, like, it's a fair question to have asked in that setting. Is the pitch and the sell of accountability to your core group tougher to make? if your president of hockey operations isn't facing the media at the tail end of a season. Like, that would have been a fair question. I wouldn't have asked it because I didn't think it was necessary, frankly. It had already, like, the elephant in the room had been addressed so many times right. naturally over the course of availability that I didn't think it needed to be underlined. But, you know, I, that is one takeaway, too, that I that I think is worth noting. I, I do think Jim Rutherford's absence hung over that availability in a meaningful sense and undermines in a lot of ways this organization's sort of holistic formulation about the value of accountability in, in reaching their goal. Yeah, and the other word that came up uh, a lot was trust, right? Just the importance of players trusting the coaching staff, trusting management, feeling safe, which is something we've heard Patrick Alvin talk about in the past, feeling like they have uh, the support to develop and, and take those next steps. And that was one of the kind of overarching themes was just the importance of development for these players, the importance of setting up the development system for the organization as a whole. And I thought to some degree really trying to put it at the feet of the players, right? Like talk it when you're talking about a third line center, maybe there are people who can do it in house. Maybe we're going to have to go outside. There was a lot of talk of, you know, Hey, Brock Besser. I think he understands what he needs to do this summer to come in and reestablish I, now that. I didn't like, I didn't like the sacrifice if he sacrifices this summer thing. Now, I think it did leave the door open, but I also thought it was a bit of a gratuitous shot with a player we know has been hard on himself and his own performance. Um, I, I didn't think that needed to... I didn't read it that way. Because I, like, I think 
I didn't think it needed I to be that I took it more explicit. in the context of they think every player needs to do that. Like I didn't think I didn't I didn't read it as saying he had, you know this is something he's been bad at in the past. I just read it as like we expect every player to sacrifice and be uncomfortable Except and have it, a big it, summer. It was about him, right? Like I don't know. I, I the the there's been an overall focus on fitness that sort of matches some of what we talked about early in the season. Remember when they kept blowing third period leads? Yes. And they, I kept saying like, oh, I wonder if this is related to it. I think we have our answer now. Um, and and I I just felt like that was singling out a guy. I didn't like that part, but. You know, not not a huge deal. Like I, I'm not outraged. You know, like there's a. I just I didn't. Sure. It, it wasn't. A, it was a stylistic flourish that I didn't appreciate. And we heard something similar in regards to uh, OEL as well, right? Like had a tough summer last year, and you know the specific line that he used was that uh, he's willing to sacrifice to get his name back, which I thought was a fascinating <laughs> turn of phrase. I right? love like, that. Reclaim what your name means that in was, this league. That was very Marlowe Stanfield. <laughs> Yes. Marlo Stanfield. Yeah. Well, okay. Can can we also do the JT Miller thing? So first sure, of all, first sure. of all, Patrick answers the JT Miller question. Um, do you like my joke? Yeah. So are you going to yes. trade him? It was good. <laughs> so um, wait, just to clarify, you're going to trade him? <laughs> <laughs> they, they, I think they appreciated it too. Um, but the so, uh, do you watch Ted Lasso? Not the newest season. But oh, okay. well, I've seen the first two seasons. Fair enough. But it was a it was a compliment sandwich. It was like, yeah, we'll listen. But I love JT Miller, and, and you know, any anyone can get traded, and you know, uh, but like, man, his hardness, his play, the last thirty games, we love the guy. You know, this is the player. But but I'll listen. Well, <laughs> it was it was a it was a all listen sandwich surrounded with uh, like it was the opposite, I guess, of a compliment sandwich. It was like a non-committal sandwich. Yeah, there were two sides of it that were non-committal, and in the middle was like a bunch of stuff about how JT Miller is a core player. Don't think that's going to tamp down the speculation. Well, I was going to say the, the way the real question is that he if could've. you were a rival front office and you heard that, would you say, "Oh, okay, we're not going to call"? No, 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 don't bother calling. No. no, you definitely wouldn't. You'd be like, "Okay, we'll we'll give a call. We'll see what's going well, on there." Especially because if you're a rival front office, the chatter around the league is that Miller was available at the deadline, so you'd check in, right? So yeah, I don't think it did anything to dissuade us from round five. <laughs> The Miller trade yeah. speculation enters its 18th month. I did like Patrick Alvian also saying, like, yeah, he's been traded everywhere just since I've been oh, here. Oh, yeah, it's that like, was good. That's true. <laughs> you're, you're not wrong, Patrick. <laughs> he he had some good jokes. He did. Honestly, he I, seemed very comfortable. He did. It was a, it was a very good performance. Uh, what I, it, again, a very, I want to be qualified. It was a very good performance, even if I think there's cause for uh, skepticism. And as a lot of our texters into the Dunbar Lumber 650-650 inbox are telling us, they didn't appreciate uh, the way that he he ducked some of the questions. That to me is is actually par for the course. Yeah. But but I understand. There like, was only one time for me where I felt because again, like as you said, it's par for the course, right? You go into these availabilities with certain themes you want to hit. Mm-hmm. If there's a question that you don't want to address directly, you find a way to pivot to those themes. That's like really basic stuff, right? The only one where I thought where I was kind of like, ah, was when he was specifically asked how much of a priority it would be to sign, re-sign Elias Pettersson or get an extension. And the the answer was about like, oh, the trust they're building with the players and everything. And, and, and it's and like, I felt it could have been a little bit more direct there. But as you said, eventually kind of gets back to it and doesn't leave a lot of doubt that it is a, a big priority. Well, so the core players buy into our vision was like a big part of that answer. And I don't think we got that from the core players. You know, like they, they buy into Rick. It's clear they believe in Rick. But I don't know that the core players had like echoes of like, we're moving in the right direction as an organization. In fact... It felt like there was fatigue 
about some of the some of the organizational goings ons going ons in in a lot of the players' answers on Saturday. So it, it's a little discordant to have the players sound one way on Monday and then Alvin really be like, "We're confident about the vision we're selling," because um, because I don't think that was echoed to us from the players themselves. What did you think overall about the uh, and we're going to we're going kind of rapid fire here because we you know we don't have that much time to to talk about uh, an awful lot that was said by Patrick Alvin. What did you think about kind of his overall gloss on how they finished the season and their performance under Rick Tockett? Yeah, so I, I didn't think there was he, anything surprising there, right? They like focus into on it. practice habits, structure. Of course, they're going to be happy with it. You know, it, it, there was nothing that kind of jumped out to me one way or another. They leaned into it, right? This was the polar opposite of not buying the Boudreaux bump. They faded the Boudreaux bump, right? They're tailing Rick Tockett in, in a major way. The one thing that I sort of, I mean, if it was like a one-on-one setting, if it was a different setting, if if it wasn't like fight for the mic, yeah, and then and then wait. 45 minutes before you get to ask again if it wasn't that type of environment the one thing i would i would have asked and i'd actually be curious to hear rick Tockett's response to it and i might try and ask him at some point this summer but like we saw the first 10 games under rick and we saw the improvement in terms of form right away but it took demko returning mm. for the results to turn right like <laughs> this team wasn't winning games in Tockett's first 10 until they got the goaltending to really sustain it in some ways it still feels like this team is so dependent on the play of their goalie, which was basically the criticism of the Tocket bump. Or sorry, the Boudreaux, the Boudreaux bump. bump. Yeah. Right? Which is which is the goalie hid all manner of flaws. Was I, I mean, at the end of the day, the 10-2 and 1 run that this team went on in sort of the meat of of the Tocket bump was goalie was as goalie driven as the Boudreaux bump last year. And, and I think that's worth just sort of noting, and I, I'd be curious to hear them unpack it. Because, again, I buy that the Tocket bump is more sustainable than what we saw under Boudreaux. I, I, what I don't buy is that this team has luck-proofed itself, right? And that's sort of where we get back to, you know, the hype toward the end of the season around, like, a 24-year-old NCAA defenseman. Right. Like, you know, it's a nice find, but it doesn't fundamentally alter the work that needs to be done on Vancouver's back end, right? Third line center, the one need that they were like really gung ho and about spotlighting, that's a tough piece to find, and that's an expensive piece to buy, right? How how do you go about doing that? The European free agent market, right? The uh, the sort of Topolio, Spencer Martin, mm. Archer's, Silov's backup plan, right? That puts a lot of pressure on Demko. The the fact that in searching for answers to the penalty kill, Tockett's main ones, right, were his three best players who, who he rode the wheels off down the stretch, right? Probably an unsustainable level of deployment for next season. Everything congealing to work next year remains contingent on an awful lot of hope bets. And, and that's sort of the issue that I'm still grappling with in sort of analyzing this team this summer. It just still feels like there's a lot of work to get this team the five or six wins, the five or six games they need to be a playoff team, as, as Alvin formulated it. There's still a lot of work to get there and still a lot of downside, downside risk 
in terms of how reliant this team is on a very, very small group of elite contributors. One thing I wanted to get in here as we uh, get close to wrapping up the show, obviously a lot of praise and rave reviews for Abbotsford, for Jeremy Colleton, for the players, for the player development staff, for Ryan Johnson. I thought the commentary about Niels Hoaglander in particular was really, really interesting. I believe it was you who asked, like, what's going to be the catchphrase, kind of, that you guys are looking for? Like, the pithy one-word descriptor of players that you guys are looking for in the summer. And it was, well, we need more North-South players. And then, unprompted, bringing up, you know, you look down at Abbotsford. Like, Niels Hoaglander is a guy who probably fits how we want to play pretty well. I thought that was really interesting. Mm -hmm. And then asked specifically about Hoaglander, kind of expounded at length. It's... Hoaglander is really funny because as much as he came in and won a uh, job at a training camp, right, and established himself as an NHL player, there's always been this kind of undercurrent of dissatisfaction, right? Like Travis Green, you know, we, we kind of got the idea, was frustrated by some of the defensive deficiencies, lack of details. Bruce Boudreaux, same thing. He bounced around the lineup. I felt like that was the most, like, outwardly positive a member of the Canucks organization has been about Niels Hoaglander, despite, you know, him coming in and uh, having the type of rookie season he did. And I just thought it was a really fascinating commentary. And again, specifically when he was brought up unprompted that like, this isn't just a player that we, you know, we're happy that he's playing well in Abbotsford, but we look at him as a potential stylistic fit uh, for this, for what Rick Tockett wants to do and how he wants to play. Yeah. You know, Look, Rick Tockett's going to love Neil Soglander. I, I have no doubt that once he sees him, like, Bruce Boudreaux didn't have a lot of time for him. Travis Green loved him. I think Rick Tockett's going to love the guy. He's a really I, I, good player. Uh, that's the thing. Like, I know people have been asking, are they going to trade him? I think it would just be such a shame to trade him before he gets to do a Rick Tockett training camp. I, I, now, not to say that that commentary means they won't trade no, him. No, no, I agree with you. You're right. They shouldn't trade him. But uh, this handling in a contract year – I know it's not a crucial contract year, right? It's just his ELC expiring. But players don't love that. Mm -hmm. And if you look at Vancouver's best tradable assets, Hoaglander's right at the top, right? It's like the the, the first-round pick, should they lose the lottery? Because if they win the lottery, then it's not a tradable asset. Um, Niels Hoaglander, like, th that's it. That's like, those are the high, those are the, what would a contending team looking to shed salary with like selling a JT Miller caliber piece who's a little further down their lineup, like the next possible JT Miller. Yeah. Right. Um, and I'm just trying to think of an example of, of a player like that, but it's, you know, uh, if, if Tampa Bay was to decide to sell on, on Colton, uh, Ross Colton, right. Who'd be like a perfect third line center. Okay. If you're trying to get a piece like that from Tampa Bay, the only assets that Vancouver has that would probably interest them are, hey, cheap potential middle six winger who wins a ton of battles, right? Like, he's our he's our future Pilat, right? Mm. Maybe, maybe. And your first-round pick. Like, that, that's – you want to get into the Devon Taves market? You want to get into the market on players like that? And this team probably is going to need to. Hoaglander is going to loom large as, as probably their clearest path to get there. That's why I don't think his future is settled necessarily. We will be back tomorrow to continue to break it down, talk about the playoffs, look ahead to the offseason, all that good stuff. Bick Nazar with the People Show is coming up next. He will be taking your reaction on the phone boards. Uh, so grab a line. It is Sportsnet 650.